As we begin this morning uh, looking at God's Word together, our time in Scripture, I want us to begin by thinking about the events leading up to the birth of a Savior, leading up to the very first Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ through the lens of Mary. Mary is not one that we as Baptists uh, tend to think about or talk about very much. Yet Mary plays a vital role, a crucial role in this grand story of God's redemption. Mary, a young lady who was preparing to spend the rest of her life with Joseph, a man to whom she was pledged to be married. Mary, a a peasant girl from the less than desirable location of Nazareth a town in Galilee. From every angle on an outsider's perspective, Mary was not someone that, that anyone would, would look on as important or significant. Certainly not someone that anyone would, would think would be remembered long after her death on earth. Let's imagine for a moment how Mary would have responded to this message that she received from God's messenger. This message that Mary received from Gabriel who appeared to her and told her that she was highly favored. Told her that the son that she was to bear would be conceived by the Holy Spirit since she was a virgin and that he would be great And that he would be called the son of the most high. And that that he would reign over Jacob's descendants forever. That his kingdom would never end. How was Mary to respond to such a message? How was Joseph to respond to such a message? How would others respond to the events that would, would transpire as result of this promise from God. How would Mary's family respond to these events? Perhaps you've been in a situation at some point in your life when something happened to you outside of your full control and you wondered how others might respond. Even though Mary certainly didn't understand all of these things, she certainly didn't recognize that the fullness at this time, I don't think, the significance of the things that would soon take place and the challenges that she would face as a result of them, she found peace in the message that had come from God to her. And the verbal insults and the gossip that she likely faced as a result of her role in this were only the beginning. Though an interesting message that was given to her, a significant message that was given to her, by all accounts, if this was true, this would be a difficult road. This would be a difficult journey. For she did not yet know that she was also about to embark on a difficult physical journey. A journey that 
on the surface certainly appeared as an outward inconvenience at the hands of one greedy dictator, but on another level, from another labor, in the context of the full story, was part of the divine plan of God. And as we look at, at Luke 2 this morning, the opening verses of Luke chapter 2, I want to invite you to turn there with me as we invite God to speak to us this morning through His Word. Father, we do pray that You would lead us as we look at Your Word together. We pray that You would lead us as we seek to understand Your truth, Your Scripture. Lord, as we seek to understand these events surrounding the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, may You speak to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. God's word reads this way. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She wrapped him, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In order to understand the events that are communicated here to us through God's Word in Luke chapter 2, we have to know something about the political landscape of that time. And during the time in which Jesus was born, Palestine, or the Holy Land, was an occupied territory in the Roman Empire. In other words, the Jews were controlled by the Romans. We're told here in opening verses of Luke chapter 2 that Caesar Augustus, The emperor of the Roman Empire had issued a decree that a census must be taken requiring everyone to return to their ancestral homeland. Which meant that Joseph, as a descendant through the line of David, must return to where his family roots lie in Bethlehem. He must take a journey from Nazareth, a small town near the Sea of Galilee in the north, 80 miles southward to Bethlehem near the Dead Sea. Now imagine, imagine with me for a moment how Mary must have felt when Joseph informed her that even though she was nine months pregnant, she was going to to have to take a journey A long journey, an 80-mile journey through rugged terrain, likely as much as a 10-day journey by foot. Not only was she certainly physically uncomfortable at that stage in pregnancy, but thinking that she may have to give birth away from her home, away from her family, Somewhere where she wouldn't have even known a midwife. This is terrible timing, according to Mary. 
How would she respond to this? How would she, how would she react to, to these plans that were certainly in the context of God's word and the big picture of these events in the purposes and plans of God. Indeed, the Lord works through human agents to fulfill His divine purposes. When we step back and think of these things and the plan in the context of all of God's Scripture, of the grand narrative of, of God redeeming a people for Himself, we see that, that the Lord works through human agents to fulfill His divine purposes. God often works in these ways. For example, we think of the Babylonians in the Old Testament times as communicated through the prophet Habakkuk were a wicked people, a ruthless people, the people who worship pagan gods, yet God used them to punish and to judge His own people, people of Judah for their rebellion against Him. Even though they were not His people, even though they were not people who followed after the one true God, they were they were human agents for God to accomplish His plans. Before then, God would raise up another people, the Persians, in 539 B.C. to then exercise His judgment on the Babylonians. We're thinking time of the early spread of the church and the way that the church spread like wildfire, not just among Jewish people, primarily among Gentiles. And God called and, and led Paul to to be a great part of that, to be a great part of spreading, spreading the gospel among the nations, among the Gentiles, not because this was Paul's idea, not because this was his plan or his message, but because it was the Lord's plan. In the same way, the Lord invites us to be part of His grand plan of carrying the gospel, the hope of restoration, the hope of forgiveness, the hope of salvation to the ends of the earth calls us to be privileged participants in that plan. The Lord works through human agents to fulfill His divine purposes. One such agent that He often uses is those who are in positions of leadership on earth. And in the grand design of God, the grand control of God, within the sovereignty of God, human rulers are are granted some authority on earth, even though they remain subject to God. Human rulers, like Caesar Augustus here, are warranted some authority on earth. And according to the Word of God, we as, as citizens in various nations, various states, and various, various regions on this earth are called to submit to the leadership of, of those in political positions of authority over us. Unless our allegiance to them, and submission to them, and obedience to them is somehow in, interferes with our allegiance to our Lord. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and following, we, we read, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Skipping down to verse 5, Therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. 
This is also why you pay taxes. The authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. I know some of you probably would argue that. We would argue whether certain, certain people give their full devotion and time to the calling that is before them. Nevertheless, we are to give to everyone what we owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. We're called to submit to those and political leaderships, leadership positions over us as long as that doesn't compromise our submission to the Lord. And for that reason, this is exactly what Joseph and Mary were doing by obeying this decree that was issued by Caesar Augustus. To go and register in their hometown. We're following the instruction of their own son who later would say when he was asked about paying taxes, he would look at a denarius, a coin, and say, whose image and whose inscription are on it? In reply, it would say, Caesar's. And he would say, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God's what is God's. And interestingly, Most likely, this particular decree, this particular census, was for the purpose of taxation. Requiring everyone to go and to to register. Ultimately, so that they could be taxed, so that the, the one who was leading this particular kingdom, this empire, could benefit from their registration. But though rulers have some authority under the the full control and sovereignty of God, we can take comfort in knowing as believers that, that God has complete authority and His will will be accomplished in accordance with His word. God has complete authority and will accomplish His divine plan in accordance with His word. And in my opinion, this is where this story, the story of Christmas, the story of the birth of our Savior gets really, really good. Pastor Adam Hamilton out in Kansas says this about the events that are unfolding here. He writes, there is a deeper meaning to these events that that Mary can't understand yet. God is taking the decision of a greedy emperor and forcing it to serve God's own saving purposes, which is precisely what God does in our own lives as well. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what sort of circumstances you are facing in your life, but perhaps like Mary, you are facing a difficult or an unusual circumstance. Perhaps you are facing something in your life that is not something that that you look forward to. Perhaps it's something that you're not enjoying, but know that just like the events that were unfolding in Mary's life, the circumstances of your own life may well be part of The divine plan of God. They certainly fall into a bigger plan. They certainly come under the care and control of a God who is sovereign. A God who says in His Word that in all things He works for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purposes. And whatever you're facing today, be it sickness, Job loss, financial crisis, discrimination, divorce, family drama, whatever it is, know that it comes under the providential care and concern of a good and compassionate and full of mercy, 
A merciful would be a better way to say that. A merciful God who loves you and whose grand purposes will be accomplished, will be carried out in accordance with His plan. And I don't know how well Mary and Joseph knew Old Testament prophecy. I don't know how familiar they were with the Hebrew Scriptures. But Luke does not want us to miss that what is taking place here is in direct fulfillment of what He, being God, had promised and planned and prophesied about long prior. The passage of Scripture that we heard read just moments ago that was prophesied and written roughly 700 years prior to the events of Luke chapter 2. We read in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be our peace. And Luke doesn't want us to miss This is also connected to another prophecy, another another word of God that was given long before even this prophecy given to Micah. A word that came from the Lord to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 beginning in, in verse 12. And the Lord said, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you your own flesh and blood, and I will establish His kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. Verse 16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Just as the choir sang about moments ago, birth of Jesus, this King, King of kings, has come into this world It's fulfilling the direct prophecies of God, fulfilling the word of God. He is sitting on the throne of David and his kingdom will have no end. And Luke does not want us to miss this. He does not want us to miss that that Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, verse 4, to Bethlehem, to the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and line of David. He doesn't want us to miss that Just as the prophet foretold, this Savior, this Great One, whose origins are from of old, was indeed born in Bethlehem in order to fulfill prophecy. And it may, like perhaps it did with Mary, like perhaps it did with Joseph, it may appear that that a human ruler or a greedy man or an illness, perhaps a mortgage lender, perhaps the devil himself. It may appear as if these other agents are in control of the circumstances and situations found in your life, but rest assured that there is a God who is in control of all things and His grand and perfect 
and compassionate and loving promises will be carried out in accordance with His will. So as people who believe that truth, people who recognize that that God works through human agents, that He works through earthly circumstances to fulfill His divine plan, let's revel in the divine plan of God. Revel in the divine plan of God. God said, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's delight in the grand plan of God, the great and mighty plan of the one who holds the earth in his hands. As one who orchestrates plans and ensures that his plans, his good plans will be carried out. Let's revel in the divine plan of God and let's trust in the Lord in every circumstance. Let's trust in the Lord in every circumstance of our lives though we may not understand why we are experiencing what we're experiencing at times in this life. Our greatest strength and our greatest comfort and our greatest source of of hope and peace and joy doesn't come through our next paycheck, doesn't come through a successful season, doesn't come through a job promotion, doesn't come through a scholarship or a graduation, or whatever earthly circumstance we may face, our greatest source of strength comes from a God who loves us and who desires what is good for us. Our strength does not come from military might. In the words of the psalmist, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Let's trust in our God in all circumstances. The words of Paul, certainly speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Philippians chapter 4, another passage of Scripture that we heard read this morning, let's rejoice in the Lord always. He writes, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Mary certainly did not understand all of the challenges that she would be facing. She probably didn't understand why she was having to endure some of the things that she would endure. She certainly had a peace. A peace that God's plans were being carried out through her. A peace in one greater than her. And it would only be much later as she began to to read and to reflect on this story through the lens of the gospel that she would fully understand the magnificence of these events that were happening to her. And in the final verse of this passage, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we see another truth. Another truth from the original Christmas. It is this, that the humble arrival of Jesus anticipates the humble nature of of his ministry. The humble arrival of Jesus anticipates the humble nature of his ministry. Look back at Luke chapter 2, verse 7. We read that she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. 
She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Some translations read, no room in the inn or no lodging place, no, no room at the lodging place. We don't know exactly what's, what this is referring to because the word that's translated here can, can mean a room in an inn in a hotel or it can mean a guest room, like a guest room in a house. It's the same word that's used later in Luke chapter 22 to refer to the guest room that Jesus would partake of the Last Supper with His disciples in. But whether or not this is referring to a room at the local inn or, or a guest room in Joseph's relatives' homes, the point is this. The point is that there was no suitable place for this baby to be born. No suitable place by earthly standards for this king to come into the world. And so he enters the world in the presence of animals. And is laid in a manger, a feeding trough. How different this welcome is from the welcome that Mary received back in chapter 1, verse 41, when she went to visit her relative Elizabeth. If those present knew who this was that was arriving, would a suitable place have been found? Even so, in the grand design of a good and sovereign God, this is no accident. This Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, wrapped in cloths, placed in a manger. This wrapping in cloths or swaddling practice that is still often done today when babies are born. And I can remember being amazed at the swaddling skill of the hospital nurses after the birth of each of our children. Swaddling is something that's done to to keep the baby warm, comfortable, safe, secure. I can remember Paxton, our seven-month-old, shortly after his birth few weeks after his birth when we stopped swaddling swaddling him. I was never very good at that anyway, so it seemed like a good time to stop. I can remember him being so restless, his arms flailing everywhere, like he just had never had this much freedom. He didn't know what to do with it. But imagine the creator of the universe One and only perfect and eternal God being swaddled, being wrapped in cloths, humbling Himself to be warmed and comforted, kept safe by a young peasant girl, Mary. And then laid in a feeding trough. And how ironic and how interesting it is that The one who was laid in a feeding trough at his birth would later feed 5,000 men with five small barley loaves and two fish. And on another occasion, feed 4,000 men with 
seven barley loaves and a few fish, and later boldly and rightly proclaimed that He is the bread of life who gives spiritual sustenance to all those who put their faith in Him. God. Christ Jesus. Being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He emptied Himself. He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Church, let's let's express gratitude to God for Christ's humility. Let's express thanksgiving and praise to a God who showed up among us, humbly born into a humble family in humble circumstances on this earth, all in order that order so that He might humbly die, that you and I might have abundant life in Him. Let's thank Him. Let's praise Him for for humbly serving us. And what I hope we're seeing from God's Word this morning is that the God who is sovereign is the God who serves. The God who is sovereign, the God that holds the world in His hands is the God who has chosen to serve us by saving us by His grace. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know the circumstances of your life. I don't know what your family is experiencing this Christmas season. But there is one who holds the world in His hands, who loves you, who cares for you, and who gave His life that you might have life in Him. True peace, lasting peace is found in this Savior who has arrived among us. And in just a moment, as, as David comes and leads us in a response time, he's going he's gonna to sing a verse or two of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And as he does, before we're invited to really join in and, and sing responsibly, responsibly with him, I do want to invite you to spend a few moments in prayer. To spend some moments praying that the peace of Christ would be felt in your life this Christmas season. That the peace of Christ would be experienced by your family this season. That the peace of Christ would be experienced by this community this Christmas season. So however you're comfortable doing that, I want to invite you to do that. invite you... Pray where you are. Pray standing. Pray sitting. If if you want to come down front and kneel as an expression of total surrender to Christ, then you certainly do that. James will be down front on this side. I'll be in the middle. And I've asked Ben Birdsong, our minister of students, to be on this other side. If there's any way that we can pray with you or for you regarding the peace of Christ, I certainly would encourage you to respond in that way. But let's stand together as we pray. And as we continue in a time of praying for the peace of Christ, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you humbled yourself.
that you came to us all so that you might lay down your life for us, that we might have abundant life in you. Lord, help us, help each of us to know the peace that comes from you this Christmas. Lord, in the busyness of parties and circumstances and events and family gatherings and presents, Lord, help us not to miss you, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. Father, lead us now. In Christ's name I pray.